Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are here in Stoneville, and then on the phone we have Dr. Bronson Strickland. We've wanted to get Bronson on here for quite a while. Bronson is the Extension Wildlife Specialist. So, hey, Bronson, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Crop Doctors. Thanks so much for, for having me, and I, I look forward to our conversation. We did, too, because, you know, you and I get confused occasionally at meetings. People have asked me all sorts of wildlife questions, yeah. and I can't answer any of those. And I realize we do look fairly similar. I, obviously, it's the shaved head. but um. I do have a similar look. I get all sorts of pathology questions I can't answer either, so uh, we're Some, in the same boat. Sometimes I can't answer those either, so it's not just you. <laughs> we're kind of newcomers in the grand scheme of things to the podcast game compared with Bronson, Tom. So how, how long have y'all had your podcast, Bronson? Gosh, I, I think we're on year five. If I remember correctly, I think we launched in 2017, and uh, it's called Deer University. We really had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, we, Of course, when all that technology in its infancy years ago, we didn't know if that was going to be a flash in the pan, but podcasts are becoming still popular and more and more popular, and we've really enjoyed uh, the process and the content and the feedback we get from people. So it's it's been a satisfying endeavor. Well, yours is on my list of, of ones I listen to. I enjoy it if, for whatever that's worth. Oh, it's worth a lot, man. Uh, Glad to hear it. So, Bronson, one thing we do when we have a guest come in, we always like to ask them a little kind of an icebreaker question. So, you being the uh, the deer guru, do you prefer a modern firearm, a primitive weapon, or archery? Well, Jason, if you've listened to our podcast, you're, you're going to become nauseated quickly because I'm going to go immediately to it depends. It depends. Okay. The, the context is in terms of my enjoyment hunting, uh, it, it is archery all the way. If I had to pick one weapon to, to enjoy the process, the activity of hunting, it would be a bow or archery. But um, I'm not that good at it especially as much as we work and we don't have, you know, that much time. So I'm always relegated typically in January to getting out the firearm and actually putting meat in the freezer. So for fun, it's a bow for effectiveness and getting venison. It's a modern firearm. Dead old man. That's, that's me to a <laughs> T. And for the purest out there, I misspoke. I said primitive weapon. I should have said primitive firearm. Cause I think, wouldn't technically archery fall into the primitive weapon category. So I could hear Don Cook right. in my ear. You misspoke. You misspoke. So I'm going to just, for the record, clear clear that up. <laughs> he, he would never do that. No, Don. Don would never question <laughs> <No>. anything. <laughs> no. All right, right Bronson. We, we'd talked for quite some time about having you on, and the one topic that, that I really suggested was talking about chronic wasting disease because I think so many of the people involved in agricultural also, they also hunt, and I think that that's an important topic and something that we definitely would like you to enlighten us on. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Well, wh one thing wh where I like to start is if there's people, you know, you're giving a seminar or, or interview talking about chronic wasting disease, th there's, a, there's a component of it that I think we often neglect, and that's the economics of deer management and deer hunting in Mississippi. And believe it or not, 
when you look at the direct and, and indirect, you know, economic impact of that wildlife species, it's a billion dollars a year, which I think would be equivalent to some of, of our row crops. So it's a really important ecologically and economically resource for Mississippi. So for, for a lot of people that, that may not care about chronic wasting disease, I don't deer hunt, so what? It's still very important economically for our state, and especially in small communities, it's a big economic driver. So chronic wasting disease, it's very different, and it can be very difficult to, to understand. And I think that's what makes it so complicated. So uh, chronic wasting disease is what we call a prion disease. So there, there's no bacteria. It's not a bacterial disease. It's not a viral disease. It's a prion disease. And what that essentially means is in our central nervous system, we have all these proteins, like the three of us speaking right now have prions, but, but we don't have these defected, uh, misshapen, misfolded prions. And what happens is, is these prions, these misfolded prions, they begin to accumulate in the central nervous system. And the result is that after six months, 12 months, 18 months or so, ultimately it's going to be the demise of the animal. And so chronic wasting disease is just the deer version of a prion disease. What y'all are probably a lot more familiar with, the, the prion disease and, and livestock and, and cows was mad cow disease. And so we remember back in the 80s in the UK and Europe when there was an, an outbreak of mad cow disease. And again, unfortunately, once you contract this disease, it is 100% fatal. So in the span of time for all species, including humans, is that once you contract a prion disease like this, it's 100% fatal. So we're trying to do everything we can in Mississippi and everywhere within the range of the whitetail to try to limit the spread of the disease as, as much as we can. And so that's why it's so serious. And that is why the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, our state wildlife agency, has these chronic wasting disease management zones. And that is trying to limit the transport and spread of prions and infectious prions out of the management zone. So I know I probably rambled a bit there. So if you want me to get a little more specific and drill down on a particular topic, I'd be happy to. Give us a little history on the disease, Bronson. Where was it first identified and then how did it make it or when did it make its way to Mississippi? That's one of those of when it was officially identified versus retrospectively figuring out what it probably was. When researchers in Colorado retrospectively looked back at some of the research pens they had, and it was also at a university where they were also doing sheep research and mule deer research, and I think as well as whitetail research, they noticed that the animals, whenever they would go in this particular pen, this particular facility they had, they started contracting this, what later became known as chronic wasting disease. And so just picture, if you can remember back in the 80s and early 90s, the, the footage from the UK of cows that were suffering from mad cow disease. It, it's that manifestation of that, that same kind of disease. So um, essentially, your 
central nervous system shuts down and holes develop in your brain. And then shortly thereafter, you lose motor skills and then shortly thereafter, you die. So it was first identified in Colorado, and I believe it was first named when a researcher first put all of the pieces together and then came up with the term for the deer species called chronic wasting disease. And then from there, we think it was probably spread for the most part through what we call animal translocation. And that just simply means moving a live animal from point A to point B. So about that time, the U.S. was exchanging some animals up in Canada. And I believe it was mule deer and elk were coming out of Colorado and going uh, into, I believe, Saskatchewan and Alberta. And then a number of years later, they started finding cases of chronic wasting disease. But those are really kind of the only instances where we feel very confident that that is how it was spread. In other words, we had a smoking gun and we know that there was animals moved from the smoking gun to another point, another place. And then later they diagnosed chronic wasting disease. What we think is going on or was going on is, and I'm not saying this from a point of, of judgment here, but, but it was probably the, the translocation legal or not of, of moving live animals around. So think of, for example, a high-fenced operation in state X transporting deer to a high-fenced operation in state Y. There's just a lot of very powerful circumstantial evidence where we see these clusters or these patterns of where CWD is cropping up in the wild. There's typically an association with some high-fence operations in the vicinity. So that's kind of our best educated guess in, in how we're seeing such movement across the nation. But, but again, we, we really don't have uh, definitive evidence that that is what happened. It's just one of those, it's the most parsimonious explanation that makes the most sense. Then how is it transmitted locally, like within a single herd or, or county population, whichever term you want to apply to that? Yeah, so when you get a contagious animal, so an animal that has a disease, we think the most likely mode of transmission is saliva. And even though it can be also transmitted via reproduction, so reproductive fluid transmission can also, in some cases, occur from mother to fawn in utero. We see some of that as well. But, but we think the, the most likely mode of transmission is through saliva, and that is essentially based on the concentration of the infectious prions are greatest in saliva versus blood or versus urine or semen or things like that. So we think of how much contact deer have with each other, and you could even think of bucks. You know, during the summer when they're in their bachelor groups and they're grooming each other, we can think about does and grooming their fawns. There's just a lot of different opportunity there for prions and saliva to infect another deer. And by the way, in terms of the management implications, that is the very reason for MDWFMP as well as all the other states. MDWFMP is not unique is that when they have identified a location where CWD exists, 
they prohibit baiting and supplemental feeding. And the reason for that is to minimize the risk of transmission. So we just don't want a bunch of, in the CWD zone, we don't want a bunch of deer eating after one another because, as I've explained, you just really increase the odds of transmission. Well, and then obviously within the state of Mississippi, you alluded to there being a zone type management strategy for limiting the spread or reducing the spread of that particular disease within the state. What are those specific management zones within Mississippi right now? I'm not going to get the list of the counties right, but it's on the MDWFMP website. But right now, it's the Benton County and Marshall County area in North Mississippi that borders Tennessee. And what we've learned through testing here as well as in Tennessee is it appears the epicenter of the disease was Western Tennessee and Mississippi, just the disease spreading and radiating out from that point, it hit those Northern Mississippi counties first. And then we're seeing a few cases in the the next tier of counties. And that's essentially where we're at now. We had the case in Issaquina County, which we're still trying to really figure out, but that was the very first case. Was Issaquina County, I believe there was two cases now in Issaquina and maybe one in Warren. There was also a case discovered across the river in Louisiana. And then we had some other places in Mississippi, like in Pontotoc County. So the data from the sampling, we're, we're kind of piecing this together spatially. And we definitely see that the greatest concentration is in North Mississippi and then just fewer and fewer cases as we move south. How does the progression of it in Mississippi compare with some other states on a similar time frame? So we're in year, whatever year we're in since it's been identified in Mississippi. How does that compare with some other states? That's a good question. And it's probably a little more difficult to answer, but I guess my response would be very similar. It's very similar, but a component of this, guys, is can we determine from the data, was this truly a rate of spread, or is it just that now we have more intensive sampling in the area because we're sampling more, we're picking up the disease more often? So it difficult to tell and typically what we do is prevalence rate disease modeling people can uh, that work with this disease when you look at a, a particular prevalence rate they can kind of look at that and say yeah it's probably been there for two or three years or five or ten years and based on on that we see the, the greatest prevalence rate where we find the greatest number of samples and again that's centered on Benton County And then as we move southward from that, we get less and less cases. So therefore, we have a much lower prevalence rate. When Tennessee started sampling more intensively, man, they found the disease at a much greater area spatially. And that also the prevalence rate was much greater. So to give you some context there, when you get into Western Tennessee and some of these populations that that are being studied and sampled, you have buck prevalence rate of around or greater than 50%. And so when you have a 50% prevalence rate, you have to believe and the evidence suggests it's been there for a decade or longer. Oh, wow. 
what sort of expectations do you have as a wildlife biologist for those samples? Y'all collect samples at harvest. Now, is that of each deer that's harvested within the state of Mississippi, or is, is that a... Is that a mandatory collection process, or you're doing voluntary collections within the state of Mississippi? In most cases, it is voluntary. And one reason we can't make every single deer harvested mandatory is we, we, we don't have the infrastructure to do that many samples, for one thing. What NDWSMP does is they set up essentially drop boxes, which are freezers. And I believe there's around 30 of them that are around the state. And so for some people, it's really, really convenient just down the road. And for other people, they, they might have to drive, you know, from one end of the county to the other. But everywhere you can find one of these drop-off locations. And what NDWSMP has done is that you, you go to the site and they have a tag that you fill out. And, you know, you, you take part of the tag, a part of the tag stays with the deer head. And NDWSMP doesn't ask people to actually try to get a, a sample biopsy of the lymph nodes. They just say, just cut off the head of the deer, you know, put it in this bag, tag it, drop it in the freezer. And then they have biologists that come around about once a week. And then they'll collect all the heads, thaw them, take, you know, precisely the sample that they need. And then they will send all of those to uh, the diagnostic lab. There are have been uh, a mandatory weekend, for example. So MBWSMP may decide, hey, you know, we're going to extend deer season by one weekend or something like that. And if you choose to participate in that extended season, there's going to be mandatory sampling in that context. But just for your general deer hunters, general deer season, sampling is voluntary. And it's also free of charge. Meant to say that too. Yeah. So, in terms of having a barrier for people to get their deer sampled, other than you taking a little bit of time to cut the head off and getting it to a drop off location, and you may say, and we'll have hunting clubs do this. They're like, hey, every time somebody kills a deer, we're not going to, you know, do a 40, 50 mile round trip to drop the head off. What they'll do maybe is every week or every other week, they will collect all the heads from, the, from their hunting club, put them in a freezer. And then they designate someone to go drop off 10, 15, 20 heads at a time. So there's a lot of ways you can get this done. Bronson, what are the implications for the disease being identified in your area, maybe in your county? So my, my farm or my club, my hunt and lease, the county gets identified as, as the disease being present. What's my mindset then? Well, that's a great question and it's probably going to depend on your outlook <laughs> and if you're generally a uh, you know positive type person or a negative type person so here's what we found with, with some people some people that, and there's a lot of evidence to, to suggest this some people just don't want to know some people just I, I don't want to deal with that bad news and you, you'll have a combination of I don't want to know because there are repercussions and then a subset of that might even be uh, a denier, you know, a CWD denier. This is a hoax. This is a scare tactic. Don't turn in your samples. The list goes on and on. If you get on social media, look at some of the contents, you'll see what some people are promoting. And generally, Jason, I, I think it's that people really don't want to deal with the bad news. So I guess kind of specific to your question, 
it's located in your county or three farms over, the first thing that is going to happen from your state wildlife agency is they're going to prohibit feeding and baiting. And if that is a big part of the way you hunt and manage, then that's going to be a big change. But if you're like a lot of people and they uh, really don't even use feeders, they really don't even use uh, like corn spinners or anything for bait, that there's essentially no change. There's essentially no change at all. So it, it really depends on how you're interacting with the resource and kind of your outlook. Bronson, one of the important things for those of us in extension is to discuss what we're doing from a research and extension and outreach response within this particular disease situation. Would you care to give us some information on that? So on the, the research side, we're, we're really trying to um, to better understand what is happening to the deer population. And I, I think that's probably what is going to be of, of most interest and I think that was maybe relative to one of your, your questions previously, is what's it going to mean for me five years from now, 10 years from now, et cetera. So what we're doing, and we kind of have it set up in strata now from north to south, north Mississippi and, and another band, a county south and another band, a county south, is we're using, uh, we call it camera traps. People will also say trail cameras. But we're using some really sophisticated modeling with putting up grids of cameras. And we're examining that in an area where the prevalence rate is greatest compared to areas where the prevalence rate is not as high, are we beginning to see the manifestation of the disease to the extent that a hunter could tell the difference? And what do I mean by that? Are we seeing less deer? Are we seeing less fawn recruitment? You know, are we seeing a change in buck age structure. And that's one of the things for people, for example, is, uh, you know, if you care a lot, if you are driven by antlers, when chronic wasting disease becomes entrenched in your area, that necessarily means that half or more of your bucks are not going to live to maturity. So you're going to have, by default, a much younger buck age structure. And so if your goal is shooting 160s, 170s, 180s, and half of your bucks don't see it see, live past three and a half, then that's going to be a problem for you. So we're also looking at some, uh, some scrape dynamics. So thinking of rubs and scrapes and the licking branch. And we're just looking at the, op- the, the potential opportunity of is CWD transmission occurring via a licking branch and via urinating in the soil. And if we find out that we can detect prions on a licking branch or in the soil like that, that might be another way to go into an area and conduct testing for CWD without having to have a dead animal in hand. So it's just providing another option, another way that we can discover CWD in an area and use something like a scrape as, as a sentinel before that process. And on the educational side, we got a, a grant through USDA and NDWFMP, and we're going to be releasing a series of educational videos. And our goal with this is that CWD, even for PhDs like us, it, it's a really complicated disease really difficult to understand. And so what we're doing 
is, is we're breaking all these really complicated topics down into like an animated but narrated video that really hopefully is going to explain the nuts and bolts of every one of those topics like what is a prion? What is a prion disease? What does a prion disease like CWD do to a deer population? Okay, I've killed a deer and it has CWD. What do I do with the meat? And we're going to be wrapping it up, and that's what we're engaged in literally right now is landowner experiences, firsthand experiences of people on their property or the places they hunted for a long time now have CWD. And what are those changes happening? How, would, how does it influence them? And what advice might they have to other people that aren't experiencing the, the disease yet and preventative measures they can take into, put into place? Bronson, we certainly, we certainly appreciate the time that you took out of your day to talk to us. And I know I did want to mention, at least for our listeners, uh, you are also on the podcast at Deer University. And I think that's something that some of our listeners might be interested in, but we greatly appreciate the time. So thank you. Happy to help. Anytime, guys. Thanks, Bronson. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. 